0: today, but we're going to do our best, if the Lord will help us, Amen. to make it through <clears throat> this lesson this morning, and again tonight, if God will give us grace, praise God. Amen. Joshua chapter 1, we're going to read the first eight verses of Joshua chapter 1, Joshua 1, and beginning with verse 1, praise God. Now, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, thou, and all this people unto the land, which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you. As I said unto Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea, going, uh, or the great sea toward the going down of the sun, shall be your coast. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee. Nor forsake thee. Be strong and of a good courage. For unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left. Thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then shalt thou make thy way prosperous, and then shalt thou have good success. Amen. Praise God. And so today we begin our study of the book of Joshua. Could we all lift our voices right now and ask God to speak to our hearts, ask Him to have His way in this service today. Everybody, let's lift our voices to the Lord. We need a touch of God in this service today. Amen. Come on, everybody, everybody, let's lift our voices to the Lord. the holy ghost god upon my body upon my mind my spirit my heart god i ask you lord to anoint these lips of clay allow me god to speak god in accordance with the mind of god help me to be sensitive to the holy ghost today we need your touch we need your presence and power in jesus name in jesus name let's worship him together right now can we do that Let's worship the Lord together. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. You are wonderful to us, God. You're wonderful, God. Amen, amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. Uh, This book of Joshua derives its name, of course, from the name of the man who was the successor to Moses. As the leader of the children of Israel. Amen. The name Joshua means Jehovah is salvation. Amen. I I assume that to many of you that sounds familiar. The reason being that the name Joshua uh, uh, is the Hebrew form of the Greek name Jesus. It is the same name, only a Hebrew form. This is proven by a couple of New Testament scriptures that we'll look at this morning. First of all, Acts chapter 7, verses 44 and 45, read.
1: Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness, as he had appointed, speaking unto Moses, that he should make it according to the fashion that he had seen. Which also our fathers that came after brought in with Jesus into the possession of the Gentiles. Right,
0: now, now, now hang on just a minute. Which also our fathers that came after brought in with Jesus into the possession of the Gentiles. Read.
1: Whom God drave out before the face of our fathers unto the days of David. Now,
0: verse 44 talks about Moses and what he had done, and then it goes on to say what happened with Jesus. But... This is not talking about Jesus Christ. It is simply the Greek name for Joshua. Again, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 8, we see the same thing happening as the King James translators um, did this. Hebrews 4 and 8.
1: For if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day?
0: Now again, the, the writer here, talks about Jesus if Jesus had given them rest, which says to us Jesus did not give them rest. But we know Jesus Christ does give rest. He did give rest. This is not a reference to Jesus Christ. This is talking about Joshua. I hope you understand what I'm saying this morning. It's the same name. One is a Hebrew form, one is a Greek form, but it's the same name. We're talking here about the man joshua who did not give them rest but he did promise of a rest that was to come and we find that in joshua chapter 1 verse 15
1: until the lord had given your brethren rest
0: until the lord gives your brethren rest
1: as he hath given you and they also have possessed the land which the lord your god giveth them then ye shall return unto the land of your possession and enjoy it which moses the lord's servant gave you on this side jordan toward the sunrising. and so
0: the author of Hebrews was obviously speaking of Joshua who promised another rest that was yet to come amen he said you've enjoyed some but there is another rest that will come and uh, the reference in Hebrews 4 and 8 is to Joshua now the book of Joshua is a book in which Jehovah proves himself to be their salvation again the name Joshua meaning Jehovah is salvation And in this book, Jehovah proves that He is salvation. He he is their defender. He is their deliverer. He is the one who fulfills all of His promises. Amen. Amen. The book of Joshua picks up where the book of Deuteronomy left off. Uh, Deuteronomy leaves off with the death of Moses. And it is at that point that the book of Joshua picks up. Now, before his death, Moses had anointed a successor because God had directed him to do so. Let's go to the book of Deuteronomy 31, verse 14.
1: And the Lord said unto Moses, Behold, thy days approach that thou must die. Call Joshua and present yourselves in the tabernacle of the congregation that I may give him a charge and Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves in the tabernacle of the congregation.
0: All right, now God specifically tells Moses, "I want you to bring Joshua. We've got something to take care of here." And then we see it happening in verse 23 of this chapter, Deuteronomy
1: 31:23, and he gave Joshua the son of Nun a charge and said, "Be strong and of a good courage." For thou, shalt For thou shalt bring, bring the children of, the children Israel, of Israel into Israel the land, into which, the I, land swear which them, I swear unto them, and, I will, be with and thee. I
0: will be with thee. And so, here the charge is given to Joshua. You're going to pick up where Moses left off. Moses is not able to take the children of Israel into the land of promise, but you, Joshua, will do it. And God said, I am going to be with you. Now, th- there are some things that, that catch my attention, and I hope you're going to stay with me this morning. Amen. Uh, There there are some things that catch my attention. Uh, Out of all of the million or so people that were in Israel, why did God choose Joshua to be the successor to Moses? Uh, there, There was at least one other man that I think would have been qualified to do so, and that's Caleb and, and I'm not here to put Caleb down uh, in any way because Caleb was strong. Caleb went on uh, at the age of 80 to, to take on giants and, I believe, defeat them. And, and, and so there, there were, no doubt, other men who were well qualified to step into the shoes of Moses and lead the children of Israel. But God chose Joshua God put his hand upon Joshua and said, you are the man that I want to fill this job. Now, now, church, I hope that that kind of thing makes your ears perk up. I hope that there's something in these kinds of stories that cause you to sit down and say, God, I want you to choose me. I want to be used of God. I'm not just here to see to it that I've got a place to go to church. That I've got a place to 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 to, to uh, uh, fellowship with others and to study the Bible a little bit. I I, I don't want this to just be a social club, but I, I want to somehow get the favor of God on my life, and I I want God to look down at me and say, "You're the one that I want to use. You're the one that that, that I want to call into my service, and and I've got some things for you to do." Amen. And so, so it intrigues me. Why would God choose Joshua out of all the people of Israel? Well, I believe there are at at least four instances in the life of Joshua that, uh, to me, help me to understand uh, what, if I could use this term, what influenced the decision of God. I think there were at least four qualities in his life that I find specifically stated in the scripture that that show me why God was so impressed with this man and why God chose to use Joshua. Amen. Now now stay with me here first of all it, the first uh characteristic that I want to talk about this morning is uh, is is delineated for us. Uh, the first time that we read about Joshua in the scripture. This is found in Exodus chapter 17, verses 9 and 10. Read.
1: And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men, and go out. Fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand, up, stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him, and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur Went up to the top of the hill. All right, and, and we,
0: we won't talk about this, this whole battle and Aaron and Her and all of that. Uh, but, but here's what I want to show you. That, that when called upon in this first, this first introduction that we get of Joshua, Joshua was totally obedient, even to the point of risking his own life. Now, understand these men were not soldiers. They were not trained military. But God, but but Moses called on a man and said, There's a job to be done. And I'm gonna go up to the mountain. And and, and he was gonna be there with his hands raised, I believe, significant of his prayer for the people of Israel. And Moses is up there talking to God, but he said, While I'm praying, I need somebody to do the fighting. While I'm asking God to help you and to strengthen you, I need you to get your swords out. I need you to do a little work. And so he called on a man that I, I don't see that he has any military experience. He, he has no, no prior knowledge of how to do war. But I don't find him arguing with Moses about it. I don't find him telling Moses, I don't know how to do this. I don't find him telling Moses, this is too dangerous for me. This is going to cost me too much. This is You're expecting way too much out of me. Moses said, I want you to go out there and fight. And Joshua said, yes, sir, uh, at your beck and call. I'm I'm ready to go. Because I understand there is a cause Well, hallelujah And so the first thing that I see in the life of Joshua Is that he loved the cause of God He loved the cause of God I believe if God is going to use a person It's going to be a person who loves his cause I said loves his cause The problem is that too many Christians are about their own causes. This is what I want to do. This is where I want to go. This is what I hope to accomplish. And so they're so busy seeking out and trying to fulfill their own causes that they neglect the cause of God. But if God can find somebody that will love His cause, I believe that's the kind of person God will choose. The second instance that I see, Exodus chapter 33 and verse 11.
1: And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turneth, turned again into the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle.
0: Now, here we find Moses in communion with God. Moses is in there praying, He is talking to God, and the Bible says God is speaking to Moses face to face. Moses has quite the encounter, quite the spiritual experience. But when Moses is finished praying, he walks out of the tabernacle. But there was a young man that was listening in on that time of prayer. And Joshua said, you know what? I like what I felt around here. I like what was going on around here. And I know Moses is done... But I'm not I'm not finished yet I want to linger in what I feel right now I, I want to stay around In what I'm feeling right now I'm not ready to get up and walk out of this I love what's going on right here Amen and The second thing that I see in the life of Joshua Was his love for the presence Of God Church, I, I, I'm I'm not here this morning to preach a negative message, but I just want to tell you that when a person has problems coming to church, they've got major problems. I love to go to church, and and I'm not just talking about when I have to preach. I, I was I was talking to Brother Owens, Brother Sister Owens went with us to the conference this week. They rode with us, and so we had quite a uh, great amount of time to just visit and talk about various things, and I was talking about another conference that I attend and and the kind of schedule that they have i mean they have you there at the church early in the morning about eight o 'clock uh, in the morning and and uh, you 've been there to that one and and uh, they keep you there they 'll feed you two meals or three meals uh, that day and keep you there till about five thirty in the afternoon then you got to be back about six thirty for the next part and stay until late that night and it's it 's just there's there 's Almost no time to even turn around. And uh, I told Brother Owens, I said, it's just, it's hard for me, the older I get to keep that kind of schedule. But I'm the kind of person that when I go to those meetings and I know there's preaching and teaching going on, I just can't stay in my room and sleep. I just, I feel like I've got to be there. Amen. Amen. I just love to be in the presence of God. I love it. Uh, we we were discussing with my cousin when he was with us this last week uh, a conference that we used to attend and and uh, he he was talking about how a lot of times they would come and the ladies would go out shopping during the day while there was church services going on and they the ladies loved to go shopping and I and my wife said I just you know I just Never could do that. When, when there was church going on, I wasn't gonna go shopping. I don't care if it was a conference. I, I was gonna be in church. And that's, I'm telling you, there's, when God looks down and sees people who are not coming to church because of an obligation, they're not coming because they know they're gonna get in trouble if they skip, but they come because they love to be in the presence of God. It's not about, well, I know I'll be lost if I'm not in church. No, no. It's that I love to get in His presence. There's something about the presence of God. It doesn't matter how I'm feeling in my body. doesn't matter how tired I am. doesn't matter what's going on with my emotions or my finances or my family. I just want to be in God's presence. I want to be around Him. I want to linger in His glory. Amen. And that's the way Joshua was. He loved the cause of God. He loved the presence of God. Let me show you something else about Joshua. Numbers chapter 11,
1: verses 27 through 29. And there ran a young man and told Moses and said, Eldad and Medad do prophesy in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of Moses, one of his young men, answered and said, My Lord Moses, forbid them. And Moses said unto him, "Envious thou for my sake? Would God that all the people, the Lord's people, were prophets, and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them.
0: Now now I want you to understand, I I know Moses corrects the young man in his zeal.
1: But I want you to
0: understand what's going on in in Joshua's mind. Joshua looks up to his leader. He loves Moses. In fact, the Bible calls him Moses, minister. And that word means servant. But he wasn't, he wasn't serving Moses because he was a slave or because he had to do it or because he owed him a debt. He was serving him because he loved him. And when word comes that, hey, there's other people out there in the camp that are now claiming to be prophets. Mo, uh, Joshua said, Moses, stop them. I don't want anybody to take your place. I don't want anybody to try to fill your job. Well, hallelujah. I don't want somebody else stepping into your shoes. Now, you know, to me this is an interesting thing because when God gets ready to put somebody else in Moses' shoes, he picked the very man that said he didn't want somebody else to do it. Now it wasn't because Joshua had his own designs. It wasn't because Joshua was trying to promote himself. It was just because of his deep love and reverence for the man of God. Now, Moses understood these were not Korah and, and his men. These were not people who were, had, a, had a wrong attitude and a wrong spirit. These were people that had got the spirit of the prophet, the, the spirit of the man of God. And they were doing exactly what the man of God wanted them to do. Amen. And, and so, so Moses had to correct Joshua, but there was a zeal about him. And there was a, a love and appreciation amen, in Joshua for the leadership that God had given him. Amen. Amen. And I've, I've watched it through the years that those that honor the office of the ministry, I'm not, I'm not saying this to be self-serving. I'm just telling you, I've watched it through my many years of pastoring, that those who honor the office of the ministry the most are the ones that God tends to reach out to and put his hand upon and find some place of service in his kingdom for them. Those that have always got a problem with the preacher, those that have always got a little attitude or a little issue, something they don't like, something they don't. You know, I I just find that that, uh, to me, for obvious reasons, God really doesn't do much for them. They're not really getting blessed. They're not really finding a lot of, of, the, of the blessing of God in their life. They're, they're, they're constantly fighting battles. They're constantly going through things. And they can't ever seem to understand. Right. You're right. You're right. Well, praise God. Joshua loved the presence of God. He loved the cause of God. He loved the man of God. And then the fourth thing. We find when he and Caleb returned from spying Canaan. He brought a good report based upon faith. Numbers chapter 14, verses 6 through
1: 9. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we passed through to search it is an exceeding good land if the lord delight in us then he will bring us into the into this land and give it us a land which floweth with milk and honey only rebel not ye against the lord neither fear ye the people of the land for they are bread of us bread for us their defense is departed from them and the lord is with us fear the lord is
0: with us fear them not amen and so Joshua not only loved the cause of God, the presence of God, the man of God, but Joshua had faith in the promises of God. I'm going to tell you, nothing moves the heart of God. Nothing brings the favor of God like a person who has faith. Honestly, church, if you want to find God's favor, just have faith in God. Have faith in God. Believe God's promises. Amen. Don't doubt what God says. Don't question whether God's going to keep His word. You put your faith in God. You show that you believe God. You trust the promises of God. And I promise you, God will smile on you and God will bless you. Amen. Amen. And so if you really want to be used of God. You really want to bless you and to put his favor on you. There are four things that you ought to strive to maintain in your life. Love the cause of God. Love the presence of God. Love the man of God. And believe the promises of God. Well, hallelujah. Amen. If you can get those four things in your life, I promise you God will use you and God will bless you. And if you're not seeing the the blessings of God and God doesn't seem to be using you, maybe you ought to do a little inventory this morning and find out which of these areas you're lacking in. Well, hallelujah. Some of you, I know, love the cause of God. You love the presence of God. You love the man of God. But you're struggling with your faith, well, well, some of you, it may be another area of your life. Do some inventory, but but I can assure you this morning from the scripture, God will put His hand on those who will meet all of these four criteria, and God will turn things around for you now let's let's look at the outline i've I've, I've gone a little bit longer this morning before getting into the outline than what I normally do. Uh, and that's going to hurt me when trying to get through this book. There's so much ground to cover in this book. But again, if we don't finish the book, we'll pick up part two next week, Lord willing. But let me give you a, uh, a brief outline of the book of Joshua. There are three basic divisions in this book. First of all, chapters one through five deal with crossing the Jordan River. Crossing of the Jordan River, chapters one through five. And uh, most likely this is where we're going to spend the majority of our time today is in these first five chapters uh, because of the wealth of information that is found there. Uh, then chapters 6 through 12 talk about conquering the land. It is the conquest of Canaan. It is taking the land. It is inheriting the promises. Amen. And, uh, and putting down the enemies of God. Uh, so conquering the land, chapters 6 through 12. And then chapters 13 through 24 deals with the dividing of the land. And this is where the actual inheritance is divvied out and uh, the people, each tribe uh, comes to understand where the boundaries are of the land that God is giving them. That's chapters 13 through 24. Amen. So let's, let's start this morning with chapters 1 through 5, uh, the crossing of the Jordan River. First of all, the first thing that we find in in Joshua chapter 1 is um, this time of mourning for Moses has come to an end. Amen. 30 days, God said, you can mourn for this man. I'm giving you one month to cry over the loss of of your leader. He's been with you for for most of this group. He was their leader from the time they were born. It was all they had known. Uh, You've got those that are now 40 years old uh, and younger, that this is the only leader that they've ever known. There are others from 40 to 60. Uh, they, they still have some vague memory uh, of land in Egypt and slavery and what it was all about. But still, when it came to leadership, Moses was the only leader that they had ever known now there was nobody in the in the crowd that was above sixty years old except joshua and caleb they're the only two that that uh, were of that age uh... and again moses was the only leader they had ever known and so so there was a great deal of love even though uh... their fathers and grandfathers and great grandfathers had given moses a lot of trouble these people grew to love and appreciate the man that God had put in their life. And, and they loved him. And when he died I can only imagine what the heartbreak must have been. What the pain and the anguish must have been that they felt to lose this leader who had brought them so far and had actually been the deliverer of their people from a land and a time of bondage and slavery. But God said, I'm giving you 30 days. You you weep, you mourn for 30 days. Uh, you cry over his death. Uh, do what you want to do during that period of time. But at the end of 30 days, God said, now it's time to move on. I don't want you to spend your life grieving over the past. Well, hallelujah. Joshua chapter 1, verse 2. Listen to this.
1: Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel.
0: Now, now may, maybe, you don't, maybe you don't see this quite like I do, but, but I want you to see the abruptness of God, He says Moses is dead. Get over it. He's dead. Now you get up and go. You can't spend your life staying here crying over Moses. He's gone. It's over. It's time for something new. It's time for a change. Amen. You've got to progress. Let me tell you something, church. Sometimes the hardest thing to do after any kind of loss, I don't care what it is, is simply to pick up and go forward. But if we're not careful, we can languish in our losses and miss out on our future gains. We can spend our time crying about what we no longer have, And in so doing, we never gain anything else. Are you listening to me this morning? I'm telling you, as a church, we can go through these things. We can spend our time talking about how things used to be. How we used to have it. What used to be here. Who used to be a part. We can spend our time crying over what we've lost. And dwell there in a time of mourning and disappointment and grief. Or we can dust ourselves off. Say I hate that it happened. I, I miss what we what, what used to have. But I've got my sight set on something more. And I'm not staying right here. I'm going to get up and go on. I'm going to live the rest of my life. I'm not dwelling in the past. I've got a future ahead of me. Hallelujah. I've got to live my life. I remember my old pastor talking about going to his mother's funeral and uh, then going home with his dad after the funeral. And he said his dad started dragging out boxes. And he said, here's another picture of your mom. He said, here, put this one on this wall and put this one on this wall and put this. And he said, man, he wanted to cover every wall with her pictures. And he said, I finally told him, I said, dad, you're doing the wrong thing. You're going to live in this house in absolute grief. You, you've still got a life ahead of you. You know, I'm sorry that mom's gone. I'm sorry that, 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 that we've lost her. I, I miss her. I loved her. But dad, you've still got a life ahead of you. And somehow you're going to have to dust yourself off and keep living. God in his wisdom chose to leave you here. So live. Well, hallelujah. Live. Well, praise God. Amen. Church, there is a future that is ahead of us. And and we we can't spend our life memorializing uh, over everything that we've lost. We can't spend our time grieving over everything we used to have. We've got to look at a land of promise that yet awaits. uh, At victories that God wants to give us. uh, At promises that God wants to fulfill. Let's get up and move on. Let's go forward from this point. Uh, Let's inhabit the land that God has set before us. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Joshua chapter 1 verse 5.
1: There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee.
0: I love this. You know, this is really, if we could ever come to this realization and get this revelation, this is really redundant for God to say this. But because of our humanity, because of our frailty, God sometimes has to tell us things that are redundant. You know, I, I think about uh, when he told his disciples, Lazarus is asleep and I go to wake him. And they said, well, he does good if he sleeps. And the Bible says, then Jesus spake plainly unto them and said, Lazarus is dead. That should have been redundant. There should have been no need for him to say that. But he had to. And he does it because he understands us as humans. And so for him to make this statement. That as I was with Moses so I will be with thee. You know we ought to just understand church. That people change. Times change. Circumstances change. But God never changes. Joshua, you're a new leader. You're a new man for a new hour. We're not going to be wandering the wilderness anymore. We're stepping into the promises. But I want you to understand that though times have changed, the crowd has changed, the positions have changed, there's something you've got to understand. The one who's really masterminding this whole thing has not changed. You're serving the same God Moses served. I met the needs when Moses was the leader, and I'm going to
1: meet the needs when you're the leader.
0: Well, hallelujah. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6.
1: For I am the Lord, I For change I not. I
0: am the Lord, I change not.
1: Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ, the Jesus same Jesus Christ, yesterday.
0: the same
1: yesterday. Today
0: and today and forever and right now tomorrow next week next month the same god that called you out of sin is going to help you in your problems The same God that delivered the Hebrews from the fiery furnace will deliver you from your fiery trial. The same God that stopped the mouths of the lions for Daniel will stop the mouths of the lions when they roar against you. God changes not. He is the same God today that He's always been. Don't tell me God doesn't perform miracles anymore. Don't tell me God doesn't heal bodies anymore. Don't tell me God doesn't answer prayers anymore. I'm telling you, He's the same God today that He's always been. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, God made three very specific promises to Joshua in the first chapter of this book. Three very specific promises. First one's found in verse
1: 3, read. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses.
0: God said, this is promise number one. Wherever you put your foot, I'm giving you that land. That's that's a pretty good promise. That's a pretty good promise. Joshua, if you can walk there, I'll give it to you. He didn't say everywhere that you're strong. He didn't say everywhere that you could be victorious. He didn't say everywhere where you're bigger than the inhabitants of that land. He said all I'm asking you to do is put your foot there. And if you can get your foot there, I'll give it to you. I'll sign the deed over to you. I don't care who's living there right now. You put your foot on that property and it's yours. To me, I find it interesting. This was the first promise God gave Joshua. And the first city that they conquered in the land of promise was what? Come on. Jericho. And how did they conquer Jericho? They just put their foot around the perimeter of that city, didn't they? That's all they did. They just walked around it. Amen. Just, just simply marched around. God said, God said to Joshua, everywhere that the sole of your foot shall tread. I, I just believe that Joshua, every time he left a sandal print in the sand, he said, that's mine. That's mine. That's my, that belongs to me. And they're up there on the wall laughing at him and mocking him and making fun of him. He said, that's all right. You see that footprint right there? That's the same as signing my name to the title deed. That, that's telling me this, it it may be yours right now, but when I get through putting the sole of my foot on this property, honey, it's not gonna be yours much longer. God has said, it's mine! God didn't even tell him, Joshua, you got to go and put up tents there. Joshua, you got to go and set up camp there. Joshua, you got to live there. Just get your foot there. That's all I ask you. Get your foot there and I'll give it to you. You know, church, I want to tell you something. Sometimes, sometimes we think. See, see, we, we, we wrestle with all this in our minds and, and, and we, we, we get sick. We, we come for prayer. We wrestle with, is God going to heal me or not? I, I just don't think I got the faith to believe God's going to take care of this need or we're struggling financially or whatever. I just don't think I've got the faith to believe in it. But see, what we're trying to think is I got to have enough faith to build a camp right here. I'm going to have to live here for a while until God sees I've really got the faith and when God sees that I've been living here for a while well then God will turn around and give it to me. I don't think it happens that way. You know what I think? I think if you can muster just enough faith to kind of get your big toe across the property line well do you understand what I'm telling you? If you can get just an instant of faith, just faith the size of a grain of mustard seed. You don't have to build a house on the property. Just get your foot there for an instant. Just let enough faith rise for just an instant. This is why I've said it and said it over the last several weeks. That that you don't wait until the end of service and come down here and want prayer. When the Holy Ghost is moving, while the preaching's going on, while, 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 the Spirit of God is, is, is sweeping over the congregation, if in that instant you think, man, I feel something, alright, i I believe you, God, that's all it takes! Don't try to figure it out. Don't try to reason it out in your mind. Don't try to lay out the still. Well, I'm not good enough. Well, I did this. Well, I did that. I did something wrong. I was bad here. I was good here. I. I, I... No, 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 no. When you feel the Holy Ghost, just put your foot down, honey. Just for just an instant of time, say, I believe you, God, and see what God will do. Well, hallelujah. So, first promise, God said, every place the sole of your foot treads, I'm going to give it to you. It's yours, Joshua. Just get your foot there. That's all I ask. And God kept his promise. The second promise is found in verse 5.
1: There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee.
0: So the second promise is that no man is going to be able to stand before you. No man. doesn't matter if it's soldier or king or giant. It doesn't matter the size or the strength or the power. Or the position of the enemy. Are you hearing me? God said. You're going to have to remember Joshua. It's not about you. How many times have we heard this over the last several weeks? It's not about you. Well I've got this situation. Well I've got this problem. It doesn't matter. It's not about you. Is God bigger than your problem? That's the question. Is God stronger than your enemy? That is the question. Oh, but this dilemma is really bad. Is it so bad God can't fix it? Is the sickness in your body so strong that God can't heal it? See, we don't, we don't, we really, we don't ever put it. That's not the question we ask. The question we ask is, will God do it? That's the wrong question. That's the wrong question. Rather than asking yourself, will God do it? You need to be asking, can God do it? And leave it with that. Do you know of any instance, any instance in the New Testament, any instance in the four Gospels, in which Jesus ever encountered a sick person that he told them, no, he would not heal them? Is there any place... In all the word of God, any place, where Jesus ever walked into a city and they brought somebody in need and he said, nope, it's not my will. There were people who wondered if it was his will. There were people who said, Lord, if thou be willing, thou canst. People questioned whether it was his will to do it. Hello? But I don't ever find him telling them I'm not willing. In fact, the only time I find where the Lord is not willing is when the apostle tells us that he is not willing that any should perish. He's not willing for you to go to hell. If, if you want to go, he'll let you go. He wants. But I can't find any scripture anywhere that says it's not God's will to heal. I've been talking to some preachers about this. I've really been disturbed by it. And there's there's a lot of of discussion going on. And and, and folks said, why aren't we seeing more healings? Why, Why aren't we seeing? I'm going to tell you, I believe one of the problems is because the devil has taught us to ask, is it God's will? Is it God's will? Does God want to heal us? You know what? I'm telling you, church, we ought to... Somehow, we've got to to have a, if I can use this this terminology, a paradigm shift. We've got to change the way we think. We've got to quit thinking it's not God's will and just think it is God's will. Until God proves otherwise. Rather than allowing the devil to put the question in our mind... I wonder if it's God's will to heal me. I wonder if it's God's will to take care of this. I wonder if it's God's will to meet this need. That's the wrong question. The question is, is God able to do it? Is he? Is he? This is not in your notes, but go to Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20. Is God able to do it? Well, hallelujah! I'm sorry to spring it on you like that, but Ephesians three and twenty. What's it say?
1: Now unto him that now is able. unto him
0: that what is able. Now unto him that what is able. Come on, church! Now unto him that what is able. That's the question we ought to be asking is god able is he able to bless me is he able to heal me is he able to meet my need is he able to take care of me is he able to defeat my enemies is god able the answer is yes now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you can ask or think Hear me? If you can ask it, if you can think it, God can do exceeding abundantly above it. There is no question when it comes to his ability. Get it out of your mind. There is no question when it comes to his ability. He is able. He is able. And so we, listen, you know, even, and and the one, the one exception to all this that I can find in the New Testament is Paul's thorn in the flesh. And I don't know if that was a physical infirmity or not. I don't know what it was. He said it was the messenger of Satan to buffet me, which, which sounds like some kind of spiritual thing. I know a lot of, a lot of scholars and theologians believe it was a physical infirmity. I, I don't know and they point to verses in Galatians about I would have plucked out or you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me and so they say it was because of an eye problem that he had and, and you know but all that's conjecture we don't know what the problem was but we do find that in that instance alone God and again God didn't really say no God just said my grace is sufficient for you but my point is this we Paul never once said, God, you know, is it, is it your will? Three times he asked God, take it away. He wasn't praying, God, is this your will? God, are, do you want to heal me or not? Do you, you want to help me or not? That's not, he was saying, God, take it away. Until finally the Lord spoke and said, my grace is sufficient. Now, I'm going to tell you, until God speaks to you and says, my grace is sufficient, you ought to keep believing God's going to do it. Until God says no, you ought to believe the answer is yes. No man, no man. God said, he's going to be able to stand before you, Joshua. I don't care who he is. I don't care how strong he is. I don't care what's going on. Nobody is going to be more powerful than what I'm going to allow you to be. And it's not really because of you, Joshua. It's because, it's because of me. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. I'm going to be fighting these battles, Joshua. So don't forget that. So that was the second promise. Come on, the third well i've got a couple of scriptures here let's go ahead and, and uh let's let's read these uh romans chapter 8 verse 31
1: what shall we say then to what shall we then say to these things if god be for us god be for us who can be against us
0: and, and isn't that really what what must have been ringing in the mind of joshua if god is for us What difference does it make how big the people are? What difference does it make how well trained their armies are? What? Why should we even worry about it? If God be for us. Come on, some of you are still so worried about what's going to happen with our new president. I don't like the stuff he's doing. I don't like what's going on. I'm concerned. I'm concerned. I don't know how true it is. I got an email uh, the other day that said that there's pressure on him now to appoint the first openly homosexual justice to the Supreme Court. I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's going on. I don't know what's going on. I, I, don't, like- I don't like the things that I said. He- he's refusing to-, to celebrate the National Day of Prayer. Um, it-, it just, you know, I'm concerned. I'm, con- I'm telling you, I'm concerned, but I'm not worried. Because I don't care who it is. If God be for us. Let them pass whatever laws they want to pass. If God be for us. The early church was outlawed. But they had revival. The early church was persecuted. But they had revival. If God be for us. Come on. Didn't we see that way back in the book of Exodus? When the Bible says that the Pharaoh that, that arose who did not know Joseph or the, uh, didn't know the God of Joseph and began to put them in bondage. And the Bible says, but the more that he afflicted them, the more what? They multiplied and grew. Hell gave it their best shot. Tried their best to stop them. But every time hell hit them, God just made them multiply. Well, hallelujah. I wish somebody would get a hold of this today. I don't care what the future holds for anybody else. I know what the future holds for the church of the living God. If God be for us, who can be against us? So promise number one, every place the sole of your foot touches is yours. Promise number two, no man's going to be able to stand before you. And promise number three, found in verse 9, Joshua 1, verse 9.
1: Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. For
0: God is with you wherever you go. Wherever you go. You ever found yourself in a place you wish you weren't there? I'm not talking about a physical location. You know, I've, I've been in a few of those places. but But I'm talking about spiritually, emotionally, financially. You find yourself in a situation you wish you weren't there. Can I tell you something? You're not there alone. You're not there alone. Psalm 23, verse 4 says,
1: Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death.
0: Even when it's the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I am not going to be afraid for one reason. For thou art with me. Because you are in that valley with me. Alright. The only time you've got a reason to be afraid is when God departs from you. But he's already promised, I'm not going to do that. If there's any departing, you're going to have to walk away from me. I'm not leaving you. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Lo, I am with thee always, even to the end of the earth. So, Joshua, while you're there fighting that battle, just remember one thing. You're not fighting the battle alone. You know, I I don't know, and there's no way to prove this, but I really don't read anywhere where the three Hebrews in the fiery furnace saw the fourth man. I don't read where they ever saw him, and they never made mention of him. Nebuchadnezzar saw it, but I don't see where the three Hebrews saw it. Well, hallelujah i i can't i can't read any place where they came out and said oh god was with us in that fire but he was he was well you know sometimes we just find ourselves in the position job was in he said i i look to the right hand and god's not there and i look to the left and he's not there i Go forward and I can't find him. I go backward and I can't seem to locate him there either. But just because you can't find him doesn't mean he's gone. How about looking up? How about looking underneath where the everlasting arms are located? You may not see Him. You may not feel Him. You may not perceive Him. But I'm telling you, wherever you go, God is there. In your darkest night, in your lowest valley, in your deepest despair, God is still present. Well, hallelujah. I've only got a few minutes here. I need to... We hadn't made it very far, but let me try to let me try to get through maybe one more page here, and, and we'll stop. In fact, this will probably be a good place to stop, with it being Mother's Day. And let's let's uh, let's let's go then into this time. God makes these promises, and then the victory begins. And chapter two tells us about the beginning of the conquest of Jericho, and and it starts. The conquest of Jericho really starts with the sending over of spies and the conversion of a harlot. You know, to me, it's, it's amazing that this heathen woman had such faith in a God she really didn't know. She had more faith in him than some of us who claim to know him. Joshua chapter two verse nine, this is, this is Rahab speaking.
1: And she said unto the men. She said to the men, "I know that the Lord hath given you the land." I know.
0: I'm 100 percent convinced of it. There's no question in my mind. I'm not struggling with faith. I'm not standing here saying, well, I, you know, I'm not too sure. I'm, I wonder. I, No, no, no. She said, I know that God's given you the land.
1: And that your terror has fallen upon us. Uh-huh. And that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. You talk about faith. She believed in
0: God. And she inspired faith. Verses 23 and 24, Joshua chapter 2, 23 and 24. Listen to this.
1: So the two men returned and descended from the mountain and passed over and came to Joshua the son of Nun and told him all things that befell befell them. And they said unto Joshua, Truly the Lord hath delivered into our hands all the land. Listen, listen. That little conversation
0: with Rahab did something in the hearts of these men that had gone over there to check it out and kind of find out whether they're going to win or not. But after a few minutes of talking to a heathen woman, they came back and said, Joshua, God has given us the land. The people are scared to death of us. You talk about building their faith. They believed it. Amen. They, they, they got a hold of something Amen. because of what Rahab had to say. In fact, you know, Rahab is an interesting study. She is listed in three very important places in the New Testament. And, and, and you've got to understand that really the New Testament is not a book that deals... And and I know this may some of you may find it offensive, but the fact is, the New Testament really doesn't put a lot of women in prominent places. It really does. It's more about the men, is it not? I mean, you know, the disciples, and 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 I mean, that's so. When when they take a woman and put her in a prominent place, you got to sit up and take notice. There's something special about this lady. And three times, three times, three different New Testament writers, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, called our attention back to Rahab. One is found in James chapter 2, verse 25.
1: Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works, When she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way.
0: James, who was the, if we could say it, the half-brother of our Lord. He had the same mother, he didn't have the same father. Amen. Mary was his mother, but Joseph was his father. For Jesus, Mary was his mother, and the Spirit was his father. They're just half-brothers. But the half-brother of our Lord, when he began to write a letter dealing with how important our works are, how important our lives are, and the way we live, he said, let me bring to your attention a woman who lived a very ungodly life. But God forgave her ungodliness because of an act of righteousness. And we learn from her example how important good works are. We learn that from Rahab, a heathen woman. Another place where we find Rahab, and this is is an important location for her to be, is in the hall of faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31.
1: By faith, the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not, When she had received the spies with peace. Now listen. You know there's a lot
0: of names called in Hebrews 11. But you've got to realize there's a lot of names that weren't called. There were a lot of godly people. Faithful people who did not have their names specifically mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. They couldn't. The chapter would have gone on for about five books. So they had to be very selective in the names they chose. But Rahab... Was in that list. By faith. She perished not. The rest of her city was taken. The rest of, uh, of the people of that, of that uh, place. Uh, fell at the sword of Joshua. And the people of Israel. She was spared. Because she had faith in God. Well hallelujah. And then. And I find this to be among the most beautiful. Matthew chapter 1, verse 5.
1: And Salmon begat Boaz of Rachel. and Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse.
0: Now. At first glance, this may not mean anything to you, but but understand that what this is, this is the lineage of Jesus Christ, the Man Christ Jesus. It's tracing his earthly lineage, and we understand Jesse. In fact, if we went went on and read, uh, Jesse begat David, right? So, we're tracing here the lineage of Jesus Christ through King David. David's father was Jesse. His grandfather was Obed. His great-grandfather was Boaz. Now, it says, and then the great-great is Salomon, and it says, he begat Boaz of Rachab. Rachab is the Greek form of the name Rahab. Rahab the harlot was in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Now when you study this lineage, there are only three women that are listed here. Three women. In the whole lineage they're listing the men. But three times they want to point out who the mother was that bore the child one was rahab as i mentioned one was ruth we see her listed here in verse 5 and the other was tamar now this is interesting maybe maybe it's not to you but it is to me because do you remember the story of tamar